Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 79, 78, headlined by Vicente Luque going up against Rafael Dos Anjos. And this is another episode minus the bells and whistles. I'm obviously still dealing with the effects of COVID, and last week was pretty rough. But I'm feeling a little bit better now. Finally testing negative for it, which is good, but can still feel the uh, the effects of it on my throat. And just just overall, it just does not feel good. I feel bad for anybody or at least sympathize with other people who have had to go through it. Um, it is not fun at all. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me in terms of the delayed release on these episodes. I'm just trying to stay on top of getting enough rest and enough um, recovery all while still doing the uh, appropriate research and studying on these fighters so that when I do release my uh, podcast for my breakdowns that you guys are still getting the best breakdowns that I could possibly provide to you guys so um, appreciate every single one of you guys um, I hope to be at full capacity next week so that I can get back to my regular Monday drops but I just don't know what to expect from this goddamn COVID thing nowadays that uh, it's still affecting me so uh, again, another abbreviated episode this week, just getting to the nitty gritty of every single matchup as well as my prediction. But I wanted to quickly plug the uh, MMA Fight Archive once again for you guys. I was planning on doing like a big, uh, you know, promo video for it when the Contender Series kicked off, but COVID had different plans for your boys. So, um, yeah, I just want to make a quick plug for it now because it very much is useful during the Contender Series, especially with a lot of you guys not being familiar with the fighters that are going to be on display for us every Tuesday night for the next 10 weeks. Uh, one of the main commentators on the broadcast uses this service to ensure that they can provide the information required to you guys to give you guys an idea of what to expect from these fighters before they start throwing down in the cage. Uh, the Fight Archive is close to... 2,000 fighter profiles on there now uh, from all different promotions, including the UFC, uh, Bellator, PFL, uh, KSW, Aries FC, ACA, LFA, CFFC, Cage Warriors, Fury FC, Invicta FC, uh, as well as Uri Faber's A1 Combat, and obviously the Contender Series, which just kicked off as well. Right now, as of this recording, we're only 13 fighters away from uh, getting to that 2,000 fighter profile mark, and we're closing in on 50 signed up members since we dropped this thing, so I appreciate everybody that's been supporting your boy through this and seeing the uh, benefits of using the service. So if you like doing your own predicting, breaking down fights, or analyzing fights, and watching prior fights for a lot of these fighters, uh, I got you covered on the MMA Fight Archive, as soon to be, if not already, the biggest archive in terms of direct fight fighter links to uh, not just the UFC or Fight Pass uh, shows, but also you know Bellator, PFL, and all these other ones that are not on the uh, Fight Pass service. So make sure you check it out. Seven day free trial available as well, so you don't have to shell out a nickel uh, before you even uh, get to try it out and see why it's worth it and why a lot of the top cappers in the game use this service as well and have. Uh, graduated from the previous service in which i was involved with um yeah check it out fight archive link in the description below all right let's get right into the breakdowns here for uh ufc vegas 78 again gonna be an abbreviated version 
I'll try not to cough and try not to have too many moments of clearing my throat so I can get through this as quickly as I can. First fight of the night, Juliana Miller going up against UFC debutante Luana Santos. Uh, last time around, we saw uh, Miller uh, take her first loss in the UFC where she went 0-3 on takedowns against Veronica Hardy. But Hardy had a great game plan that night where she utilized a lot of movement, didn't stay in a, you know a stay still long enough for Miller to get her hands on her and drag her to the ground. Uh, that's what Miller needs to have success. She needs to land takedowns and she needs to assert that dominant position from on top so that she can um, uh, do her best work and utilize her, I believe it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt that she has. I could be off on that, but that's where she does her best work. Her striking is lacking very much, which is why she struggles on the feet. But when she's able to get her hands around you and drag you to the ground, she's very difficult to deal with from that top position. Her opponent this weekend, a 22-year-old, I believe, Luana Santos, very young in her career still, uh, graduates from the LFA uh, circuit and comes to the UFC with a BJJ black belt and a BJJ, or sorry, and a judo black belt as well. Uh, in her last fight, she utilized her striking to batter her opponent on the feet and to eventually get that standing guillotine choke. But normally she goes out there and tries to drag her opponents to the ground and do good work from on top, uh, winning either by finish or by decision. Uh, her lone loss comes to BJJ black belt Jenna Bishop, who was able to drag her to the ground and do good work from on top and win that fight. I expect Juliana Miller to do the same thing here, which, you know, again, her striking should be at a deficit here, but Santos is not the type of striker that Hardy is in terms of utilizing a lot of good lateral movement to stay away from the takedown attempts that Juliana Miller will be getting in on. I expect Miller to drag this fight to the ground and do good work from on top. Probably not find a finish, but look to go out there and grind this fight out over 15 minutes and get her hand raised by decision. Something I just want to quickly point out is the recency bias we continuously see in the MMA game. Last time around, Juliana Miller was close to a minus 400 out favorite in her last fight against Hardy, but as soon as she fumbled the bag, now everybody's off of her, and now she's down to being a plus 140 dog uh, to a UFC newcomer. So I'm going to go with Miller to win this fight by decision and take her to kick this card off with an upset. Next up, we got DeMond Blackshear against Jose Johnson. Uh, Blackshear made good on his first UFC win last time around when he grounded and pounded Luanus Lacerda, who continuously looked for leg lock attempts and left himself vulnerable to getting blasted on. Blackshear is an explosive and athletic striker with a lot of big power, but also has a BJJ black belt where you can see him take fights to the ground and do a great job in the scrambling realm so that he can really do you know his best work controlling his opponents from that top position, landing big strikes from that top position, and grinding most fights out and winning them by decision. He had a good UFC debut against Yusuf Salal, but it seemed like his gas tank filled him late, and it ended up being a draw that night. But I think he's still very capable of having good uh, uh, success in the UFC, and uh, yeah, I like what I see from the kid. On the flip side, Jose Johnson comes in on short notice for his UFC debut after earning his contract to the contenders race last season by outstriking Jack Cartwright while stopping all of the takedowns that Cartwright was trying to get in on. Uh, Johnson is normally a striker who likes to utilize volume and do good work from distance. However, I do have questions about his takedown defense and I feel like it's something that Blackshaw will be able to take advantage of. Take into consideration that Johnson has been out of the cage for an extended period of time and coming in on short notice. Not a good look to be coming back against a guy as experienced as Devon Blackshear on short notice. So give me Blackshear here to grind this fight out and win it by decision. 
Next up, we got Montserrat Ruiz going up against Jacqueline Amarim. Uh, Ruiz being the schoolyard bully who loves to take opponents down with a head and arm throw, uh, just as she did with Cheyenne Velismas for over 15 minutes and just pound them out from that position. Jacqueline Amrim is a high-level BJJ black belt, and she got a rude awakening in her last matchup when she took on Sam Hughes and was unable to get her out of there as swiftly as she's been able to do against prior opponents. Um, we saw what it looks like when she can't get her opponents out of there in the first round, but I think it was a good learning experience for her to go out there and put on a good performance here against Ruiz. Ruiz wants to get her grappling going, and she's been out of the cage for a very long time now, and I think that she's going to struggle to deal with the BJJ black belt of Amram. Ruiz might look to get her had an arm throw going again here, but I think that's going to be trouble for her, especially against a high-level black belt like Amarim, who's going to be looking for those types of positions to take advantage of Ruiz and then get dominant positions of her own to eventually get a finish. So I'm going to go with Amarim here to win by submission. Uh, you know, not so hot on her chalky line here, but I think she still gets her hand raised. Moving over to the heavyweight division, we got Josh Parisian going up against uh, Martin Budai. Uh, Parisian has been alternating wins and losses over his last five fights. And last time around, he's coming off of a loss to Jamal Pogues. Pogues was able to utilize his wrestling-heavy approach and get enough control time to outdo the damage and get-ups of Parisian throughout the 15 minutes that they were competing. Prezian is a bit of a flashy striker who doesn't mind utilizing his wrestling either, but I think he's still not at a level that's going to be successful against the top 15 in the UFC. He's an average level heavyweight with one speed and doesn't mind going the distance, which is why he doesn't have a bad gas tank should fights go 15 minutes, which is not usual for a heavyweight fight. His opponent, Budai, is a... Um, you know, one of my favorite heavyweight prospects. He's on an 11-fight winning streak with three of those wins coming in the UFC. I was originally skeptical skeptical of him after his Lucas Tresky fight, but I loved what he showcased in the Jake Collier fight, which was classic Martin Budai work. That's wearing on his opponents in the clinch, looking to take them to the ground and do big damage from on top. His striking is very much a hard-nosed striking approach where he marches his opponents down, utilizes combinations, and does good work while wearing on his opponents and having the opportunity to finish them late. I like what he brings to the table with his hard-nosed approach, his tight striking defense, and his ability to wear on opponents and pull away late. I think he'll be able to do that here against a guy like Parisian, and I fully expect Budai to get his hand raised by decision in this matchup. Uh, it's It's just... The, the line is just a little bit too wide around minus 200 as I could see moments where Parisian has grappling and clinch success which could make this fight closer than that minus 200 indicates. But I still think that Budai pulls away late in this fight and gets away on landing the bigger damaging strikes and being the one that's coming on late in, in this fight. Next up we got Francis Marshall. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next up, we got Francis Marshall going up against Isaac Dolgarian. Francis Marshall came up short last time around in a spot where I was very confident in him. He went up against William Gomez that night, and Gomez was able to establish his range and keep Marshall at distance until that third round where Marshall finally bit down on his mouthpiece and was able to get the fight to the ground and do what he needed to do to win that round. 
Unfortunately, it was too late for him at that point to get his hand raised, as Gomez did enough in those first two rounds to get his hand raised. I think Marshall is still a very uh, intriguing prospect at 24 years old, especially considering how dominant he is when he get his, gets his wrestling going. His striking is improving, and even though it's still basic with that 1-2, he utilizes it very well with his explosiveness and speed, and I think that will pair him well, especially in this matchup. Dolgarian is making his UFC debut, and he's currently the, well, he was formerly the FAC bantamweight champion, and he was able to, he was supposed to make his debut earlier this year, but was forced to pull out. He has a flawless 5-0 record, and he's been finishing his opponents relatively easily. Similar to Jacqueline Amrim, who fights earlier on this card, Dolgarian has faced little to no resistance, which is why it's, he's been able to look so good when he steps inside the cage. His toughest opponent, or at least most legitimate opponent, was 7-2, but was a 39-year-old who was already too washed when he stepped in the cage to handle the energy of a kid like Dolgarian. Dolgarian is a guy that will implement his grapple-heavy approach and do good damage from on top, but the question is what his cardio looks like and what it looks like when he finally faces resistance, which is why I'm going to lean with Francis Marshall in this matchup. Even though he doesn't have a, a plethora of experience, he at least has experience against guys that provided resistance against him and he knows how to battle back from it. I just don't think that Dolgarian has faced that yet, and I think that's going to be a huge moment for a lot of fighters, especially when they make their UFC debut after facing no resistance on the regional scene and uh, that will be a huge shocker for Dolgarian, which why th- which is why I think Marshall will put together a much better game plan here and I think he wins this fight by decision. Next up, we got Terrence McKinney going up against Mike Breeden. Uh, it's been less than a month since Terrence McKinney came up short against Nazim Sadikov last time around in a fight where he enjoyed pretty much the entire round on the back of Sadikov but was unable to get a finish. But it was clear that McKinney's cardio issues came back to haunt him once again as the second round started off and Sadikov was able to let loose on him and eventually get a finish of his own. That pushed McKinney's under one and a half streak to 18 of his 19 total fights that have not gone past the one and a half round mark. That's pretty impressive considering that he goes out there and more often not get gets finishes, but we're seeing at the UFC level that he's going to keep coming up short. Mike Breeden, his opponent this weekend, is coming off of a layoff of over a year and a half and also a camp change as well, considering he was caught in the middle of the whole James Crow situation as well. But now he finds himself down at Marathon MMA, which is headed by UFC uh, fighter Trey Ogden, and he feels like he's very comfortable at that training camp. He's had a lot of injuries that he's had to work through over the last year and a half, but he chose to go the physiotherapy route rather than going for surgery, which is why it took him so long to come back. He's most notably known as a striker that gets stronger as fights go on, but I think that he wants to showcase his grappling as well, which is something he takes a lot of pride in. But I just don't know if that's going to be enough for him to deal with the power, speed, and agility of McKinney early on in this matchup. Obviously, my favorite spot is going to be the under one and a half because that's something you can always guarantee or at least more often than not guarantee in a Terrence McKinney fight. So even though it's chalky around that minus 290, minus 300 mark, that's probably the best way to go about it considering that McKinney will likely either get their early finish, which is what my prediction is going to be, or Breeden is able to survive the early onslaught and then find the finish early in round two. I'm going to go with McKinney here as I think he's too athletic and too powerful for Breeden to deal with early, and I think that will allow him to get a TKO victory in the first round. Next up, we got Marcus McGee going up against J.P. Bays. 
Starting off on the McGee side, he made his successful short notice UFC debut earlier this year where he was able to choke out Journey Newsom after hurting him numerous times in the early goings of that fight. He is a product of the MMA lab down there in Arizona and his only professional loss has come to a LFA veteran in Rodrigo Donacimento. That was a fight that Donacimento was able to utilize his BJJ effectively and eventually ride out McGee and find a finish, I believe, by rear naked choke. Uh, but McGee is very dangerous in the early goings of matchups. He's explosive, he's athletic, he's powerful, and he does a very good job in terms of putting his power on his opponents and knocking them out. He's very difficult to deal with early in matchups. The flaw in his game is probably his wrestling and his uh, defensive jiu-jitsu, which it seems like he's been working on throughout his uh, since that last loss that he took, but it still needs to be tested against higher levels of competition. J.P. Bays is currently riding a three-fight losing streak and looks to save his UFC career this weekend if he's able to get his hand raised. He is most notably known for being an early finisher or getting finished himself. Uh, you know, he's he's been finished in three or sorry two of the three fights that he's on the losing streak of right now but the one fight that went to a decision he ended up getting knocked down four times in against Montel Jackson he's known for his grappling wrestling and aggressive BJJ style but he also has a bad gas tank which is why opponents have been able to finish him later on in matchups he's really with his back against the wall this weekend especially with the losing streak that he's on but if he can't beat a guy like Marcus McGee, he's probably not deserving of being in the UFC anymore. He provides legitimate resistance to a guy like McGee, especially if this fight were to hit the ground, which is why I think the line is just a little bit too wide in the spot. Regardless, I think that McGee is too powerful and too fast for him in the early going of this matchup, and that will allow McGee to land on base and put him out within the first round. I think McGee wins this matchup, but the chalk is just too much for me to willingly go out there and play that. I'd rather just play McGee by knockout or knockout in round one, as I think that's going to be his best path to victory. Next up, we got Josh Fremd going up against Jamie Pickett. Fremd came in on short notice in his last fight, and he made good on it as well. He was pushing a heavy pace and utilized his rushing and eventually got a finish against uh, SD Dumas. Um, Dumas had no answer for the relentless wrestling style of Fremd and that's really Fremd at his best. He came up short earlier in his UFC career when he was unable to put away, um, the name is kind of escaping me at the moment so I apologize, but Fremd did not look good in his first UFC fight. Uh, I think, hold on, let me just pull it up here. Yeah, it was, sorry, his first two UFC fights, you can't really bank on or uh, you know, blame him too much for losing to Anthony Hernandez, as Hernandez is a very tough matchup for a lot of fighters. But his inability to ground Trishan Gore and put him in a bad position eventually got him choked out in the early going of the second round of that fight. But I think we saw the best of Josh Frem last time around, and I'm kind of surprised that the UFC or the, the betting public is actually going out there and making uh, Frem such a big favorite in this matchup. Yes, I think he wins, and yes, I think he has a horrible match or horrible stylistic clash against Jamie Pickett, but Pickett is a guy that is not that great either. He's on a three-fight losing streak as well, and uh, he's a guy that could possibly get cut if he is not able to get his hand this weekend. He's a guy that's had to rely on his physical traits throughout his career to get his hand raised. Technically speaking, I still think he has a lot of work to do, but he's done such a great job of overpowering uh, opponents, roughing them up in the clinch, and then utilizing his speed and agility early in matchups to do good work from there as well. 
But I think that Frem's wrestling and pace is going to be too much for Pickett to keep up with. Pickett might be able to make this fight close early, but it's going to be tough to trust a guy like Fremd at minus 350 against a guy like Pickett. Um, you know, I, I think that Fremd needs to showcase that style successfully more than just one fight against the guy as inexperienced as SD Dumas before you can trust him as such a heavy favorite against a guy like Jamie Pickett. Pickett, again, not that great, but has had some solid experience and could potentially throw a wrench in the plans of Josh Fremd this weekend. However, my prediction is still going to be Josh Fremd as I think he grinds this fight out and wins it by decision. Next up, we got Tafan and Chukwi going up against AJ Dobson in a fight between two strikers. Luckily for Nchukwi, he is the better technical striker here and that should be enough for him to bang on Dobson over 15 minutes and win this fight by decision. I think Dobson lacks a lot in his technical aspects from his wrestling to his striking. We saw him try to strike with uh, Jacob Malkoon uh, two fights ago and he got out grappled in that matchup. He tried utilizing his wrestling against Petrosian and was unsuccessful in doing so there. He seems to be a guy that just utilizes physical capabilities similar to Jamie Pickett who we just spoke about. Yes, that's going to work on the regional scene and yes, he'll be able to bang on a couple guys and knock them out. But as he continues to fight these higher leveled guys and higher technical um, strikers, he's going to find himself coming out on the short end just as I suspect he will this weekend. If I didn't have as much issue or uh, <clears throat> skepticism about Anchukwi's durability, I would feel a lot more confident about him in this spot. But I think he goes out there and I think he bangs on Dobson over 15 minutes and eventually wins this fight by decision. He's by far the better technical striker. And even though Anchukwi's on a bit of a losing streak right now and he's 1-3 over his last four fights, he had some really good moments throughout those matchups, specifically the Mirzakhanov one before he ended up walking into a flying knee and got knocked out. Give me Anchukwi though, and I think as long as he stays conscious, he'll do a good enough job of working AJ Dobson and eventually winning this fight by decision. Next up, we got Poliana Vienna going up against Yasmin Lucindo. Vienna, obviously a very aggressive BJJ black belt who likes to utilize her striking to get fights to the ground so that she can bang on her opponents on the mat as well. She's a fighter that goes out there and more often than not gets the finish in the fourth or the first round. All four of her UFC wins have come in the first round, but if fights get extended, that's where we see her start to come up short, and I think that's what's going to end up happening here. Lucindo is still very young, and she's only 21 years old, but she has very good training partners, and she's had some pretty good experiences inside the cage so far, which leads me to believe that she should be able to do what she wants in this matchup. Obviously, it's going to be very dangerous dealing with an aggressive fighter like Vienna, and I don't know if Lucindo has the finishing capabilities to put away Vienna which means that she'll have to deal with her for the majority of 15 minutes and it will be a very dangerous task for her to do so. Vienna has a tremendous amount of experience under her belt, but I think she's a little bit too wild and reckless at times and I think that Lucina will be able to use that recklessness against her and put together a good enough game plan with takedowns and forward pressure with her own striking to really put it on Vienna and win this fight by decision. Again, very tough fight, and I think it's closer than the odds suggest, so I don't mind anybody taking a value shot on the Vienna side, but I still think that Lucindo is clean enough to win this fight over 15 minutes and get her hand raised. Next up, we got Cleo Roundtree taking on the light heavyweight debut of Chris Dalkis. Uh, right now, Roundtree uh, is on the longest winning streak of his UFC career. He's gone out there and gotten a couple dominant wins, and even though his uh, decision victory 
over Dustin Jacoby is a win on his record, I really thought that the judges got it messed up that time around. However, we have to give credit to Khalil Roundtree as he's continuously making improvements throughout his career and really getting comfortable with his aggressiveness, which has made him such a dangerous opponent. If fighters are able to get him to the ground, that's probably where they're able to do their best work. But Roundtree is very dangerous in the striking realm, and if he puts his power on you, more often than not, you're not going to be able to live to tell the tale. I love uh, Roundtree's improvements, his, uh, you know, his, his gaining of confidence in himself. That makes him such a dangerous fighter, but also makes him an entertaining fighter for the fans, especially for those who are tuning in to watch him scrap. If he's able to keep his fights upright and keep uh, putting the damage on his opponents, he could keep moving up the rankings and be a contender before we know it. But he's going to have a tough test in Chris Dawkins here, who's going to be looking to take him to the ground and utilize his BJJ black belt. I think that Roundtree will do a good enough job in terms of keeping this fight upright and utilizing his superior striking to eventually find the chin of Dawkins and put him out clean here. Dawkins's advantages at heavyweight were the fact that he was usually the smaller guy and utilized his hand speed to touch his opponents up and knock them out. Unfortunately, he's been finished three times in a row now, showcasing that he's not going to be able to go up against a higher level of heavyweights as he takes his steps up in competition. Hence, why he now finds himself at light heavyweight, hoping to change his career and save his UFC roster spot. But I think he's going to struggle to do that against Roundtree, who will likely have this, well, will definitely have the power advantage and should be able to knock him out in this spot. The spot that I'm starting to lean on more than anything, though, is going to be the fight doesn't go to decision. I think that we'll see Roundtree eventually land that knockout, but should this fight hit the mat, Dawkins does a good enough job from what I saw in his regional tape that he can do good work from on top and potentially even find a submission. But I just think he's going to struggle too much in the early going here, and before he knows it, it's going to be too late, and we'll see Roundtree land the knockout and get him out of there. Moving on to the co-main event here between Cub Swanson and Akeem Dawadu. We're currently witnessing Cub Swanson in the midst of a 3-6 and six run over his last nine fights. He doesn't mind taking young and uh, or hungry up-and-comers who are looking to make a name for themselves, but it obviously does not work out to the best of his abilities considering that he's coming to be 40 years old at uh, in November. Last time around, he took on Jonathan Martinez and came up short in that matchup, but he... Um, you know, he, he, he did go down to 135 pounds for that fight. I, I'm i glad to see him back up at 145 pounds, which is where he should have been this entire time. And if he's able to get back to his winning ways, uh, he, it could be a fun run for him. He's a BJJ black belt, but we don't ever see him utilize it offensively. He tries to use it more so defensively so that he can stick with his unorthodox striking approach and look for finishes against his opponent. Uh, but the three wins that he has over his last nine fights uh, are against sketchy competition. We're talking about Crone Gracie, who we know is a complete dud at this point in time. Daniel Pineda, who was running out of gas and was unable to do his own work there. And then Darren Elkins, who was just a complete punching bag at that point, allowing Swanson to get his hand raised. Now that he's finding a guy like Hakeem Duwadu, I think we'll see once again what the ceiling of Swanson is at this point in his career. Duwadu is a guy who's right now 1-3 over his last... Uh, sorry, one and two over his last three fights, but you can give him a pass on the fact that he lost to Movzar Ivluev back in June of 2021. But he picked up a win over Mike Trezano in February of 2022 and then picked up a loss against Julian Arosa back in September. Arosa showcased that his unorthodox striking approach was too much for Doadu to get a beat on and he was pretty much having his way with Doadu. 
Duaru, when at his best, is a technical striking beast as he likes to utilize his discipline discipline, and stalk his opponents with combination striking, utilizing kicks more often than not. And that's what makes him hard to really be trustworthy at such a chalky spot, considering that fights of his usually play out pretty close. I can see a striking battle here against Cub Swanson playing out closer than it should, especially considering that Swanson is an unorthodox striker, similar to what we saw from Julian Arosa against Duwadu last time around. But I expect Duwadu to land the more impactful strikes, land the more impactful blows, which will resonate with the judges more and allow them to score for Duwadu. Again, this is a closer fight than the odds indicate because of the uh, the striking dynamic in this matchup, but I still feel like Dewadu should be able to do what he needs to do to get his hand raised. I just want none of that chalky price. And finally, the main event, and I'm surprised my voice has survived as long as it has, but here we are. Vicente Luque going up against Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, Luque had a dominant four-fight winning streak snapped two fights ago and now finds himself on a two-fight losing streak. He got outworked by Bilal Muhammad over 25 minutes and then eventually knocked out by Jeff Neal in his next matchup, which eventually caused some brain bleeding, which is what he needed an exemption for to get his, uh, to get past to compete this weekend. That's a pretty big concern for a fighter who takes as much damage as a guy like Vicente Luque. He's, uh, you know, at his best. He loves to stalk his opponents, utilize his striking approach, and put big damage on his opponents. He also has a very crafty submission game, which is why he's been able to pull off five submission victories through his UFC career. He's very tough. He's very durable. But I feel at this stage of his career, it's starting to work against him. And those miles and that wear and tear that he had throughout his career is really starting to catch up with him. Dos Anjos, still very durable and very tough to deal with. Even at 39, which he turns in October, he's back up at welterweight looking to make one last run before he decides to hang it up. We saw him come up short against Rafael Fizia back at 155 pounds, but he bounced back with a big win over Brian Barberena earlier this year. Dos Anjos is one of the best fighters in terms of blending striking and grappling together, allowing him to keep fights in realms that he feels most comfortable. I don't know how much it's going to work for him against high-level opponents at welterweight, considering he'll always be at a size disadvantage. But against certain guys, you got to feel that he's going to have an advantage no matter where the fight goes, and his skill set will make up for the size disadvantage he's normally at. And this is a fight where I feel like that will come into play. Don't get me wrong. Luque is a very dangerous opponent, but I feel like Dos Anjos can do enough good work from all aspects of MMA that's going to cause Luque some issues. Luque might have some success in the striking realm, but as once Dos Anjos gets into his groove, starts getting his combinations going and starts landing takedowns, I think he's going to do too much good work for Luque to really battle back from, especially over a 25-minute fight. I like Dos Anjos throughout this fight. I think he does good enough work over 25 minutes to get his hand raised by decision. There you guys go, breaking down every single fight for UFC Vegas 78. I am working on Bellator right now as well, uh, so look for that breakdown to either drop super late tonight or tomorrow afternoon, well in time for you guys to get your predictions and analysis digested uh, before the fights kick off on Friday. So yeah, once again, appreciate you guys bearing with me during me battling this whole COVID situation, but doing my best to continue to drop content for you guys so that you guys are satiated. Appreciate every single one of you guys. Drop a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And I'll see you guys again within the next 24 hours uh, to break down the Bellator card, which has 17 fights on it. Strap in, folks. I'll be right back. Peace.
thing.